As we continue our study in the book of Acts, which we're calling Devoted, taking some time to see what the early church was devoted to, because the book of Acts is how we can be a church in a broken world. He's going to be looking at how the early church remembered Jesus on the cross through communion as we take communion and also host a baptism service. So again, I'll do a plug-in for the baptism service. It's a great service. You don't want to miss it. And if you haven't been baptized before, please consider following the Lord in water baptism. Today, we are going to be talking about how the early church was devoted in prayer. So let's turn to our teaching text in Acts chapter 2, and we will be reading from verses 42 to 47. We will read, and then we'll pray for Rob, Denise, and our time together and continue on in our study. So Acts chapter 2, I'll give you a few seconds to turn there. Chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. The Word of God says, I'm reading from the New King James Version, and they, speaking of the early church, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, a gift, Lord, it is. We thank you, Jesus, for that time of worship through song that we had together as a community. Lord, thank you for being our good God who pursues us. Thank you, Lord, that as we build our life upon you, Lord, you will remain that firm foundation. Thank you for being unchangeable. Lord, we come to you this morning asking a blessing over our time, but also a blessing over the time uh, that Pastor Rob shares at all three services in Oregon. We thank you, Jesus, that your faithfulness has been seen for 31 years at that church, seeing how it's grown and how it's changed hands, and still, Lord, you're reaching people through that church and that community. I pray, Lord, your blessing upon Rob. May his heart be filled as he sees the work that you're doing. Lord, we pray for safe travels as they make their way back down later this afternoon. And we pray, Jesus, that in this time, in this sanctuary, would you meet us by your Holy Spirit? Would you disciple us according to your word? And may we be looking more and more like you at the end of our day today. Lord, teach us as we talk about prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. Stir in us, Lord, a desire to seek your face. In Jesus' name we pray and we say, amen. Amen. Well, my prayer life began, I believe, when I was five, six, or seven years old. We would go to my grandparents' house. In the Filipino culture, we call our grandparents Lolo and Lola. And so we would go to Lolo and Lola's house. Uh, They lived in Carson, California, all right? Very interesting place. And we would all go down for our sleep, and we would latag, which means like blanket, right? We'd blanket on the floor, and we would sleep in kind of birth order, Wesley, me, Nick, David, Josh. And I strangely remember that living room being very, very dark for whatever reason. Maybe they had some really good covering of the blinds, but it was just really dark. But then there'd be really weird sounds in the neighborhood, right? Carson, California. So uh, 
I remember having a, tr- a lot of time trouble falling to sleep, and what would put me to sleep is singing the song from VeggieTales that I had learned about God being bigger than the boogeyman, right? God is bigger than the boogeyman, right? He's bigger than Godzilla or the monsters on TV. Oh, God is bigger than the boogeyman, and he's watching out for you and me. So I would sing that song over and over to myself until I got a nudge from my brothers on either side. And then I would say that song or sing that song in my mind. And the words, he's watching over you and me. I thought about that. And I remember five, six, seven years old. If he's watching me, then I don't have to be afraid. And if he's watching me, he's also listening to me. So thus begun my prayer journey with the Lord. And I would pray for my immediate family, mom, dad. I would pray for Wes, myself, Nick, David, Josh. Then I'd pray for my grandparents. Then I'd pray for my aunts and uncles on my dad's side, mom's side, all of our cousins. And then uh, I started praying for our pets and everything. And and, um, I, I remember going to sleep in prayer. And what I know now is God's presence and comfort. It was actually him putting me to sleep and giving my soul rest for another day the next day. But thus began my prayer journey. Now, as I've studied what it looks like for the early church to be devoted in prayer this week, it just so happened, right, this is really cool how God works it out in God's sovereignty, that in my discipleship with uh, Gary Posey over there, he's my mentor, uh, we meet up Wednesdays, and in our book called Spiritual Leadership, it was on the topic of prayer. So this was so good. I was being refreshed. I was being comforted by the Lord. But one of the reflection questions at the end of that chapter said, if you were to give your prayer life an age number or a maturity rating, what would it be? Preschool, elementary school, middle school, high school? And this is just honest hour. I answered Gary, I think I'm like elementary school going into like like middle school. Like I feel like my prayer life, if it's an age, is very, uh, it throws temper tantrums, right? Whenever I'm not feeling good, that's when I tell the Lord. Right, just kind of like your teenage daughters and uh, sons in the youth group. When they're not feeling good, we would know about it, right? So that's kind of how I related my spiritual life well, my, in, in regards to prayer. But the goal for today is that wherever we're at in our prayer journey, whether it be newborn, elementary school, middle school, high school, or even praying longer than I've been alive, that we would all press into the Lord together. Because if we're honest, there always is room for us to grow in our prayer lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to learn a lot about prayer today. Just a forewarning, there's going to be a lot of Bible flipping, which is good for us. We want to be familiar with our word. We want to take the word and and let it speak to us. And so there's going to be a lot of Bible flipping in the book of Acts. We're going to look at Jesus. We're going to be a lot of Bible flipping in the Gospels. And then we're going to take time in our service today to be really practical because we learn to pray by praying. So I want to be very practical in how we can be better um, given life life to our prayer life, and then we'll end with a time of personal prayer at the, as, at the end as the worship team comes back up. So number one, how did the early church pray? If the early church in the book of Acts is the model to which we are supposed to be modeling after, how did they pray? Well, it seems like the early church kept to a traditional hour of prayer schedule, but also modeled 
spontaneity in their prayer life. Where do we get that they kept to the traditional hours of prayer? Well, if you turn with me to Acts chapter 3, verse 1, there's a phrase there that Peter and John, it says, now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So in the Jewish custom, there were many times to pray in the temple and in the synagogue, but traditionally you kept to three prayer times, 9 a.m., 12 in the afternoon, and 3 p.m. So this is about the ninth hour that Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. And we know the story. There's a lame man at the, at the gate called Beautiful, and he says, a silver and gold I don't have, right? But what I do have, rise, take up your bed and walk, and there's rejoicing. And then Peter preaches the gospel, and 5,000 are added to the church that day. It's interesting that they were going to the temple at the hour of prayer. They had some structure to their life. But further evidence, turn with me to Acts chapter 10, verse 9. Acts chapter 10, verse 9, speaking about how the early church kept to the traditional hours of prayer. Acts chapter 10, verse 9, we kind of see some similar terminologies here. Acts 10, 9, the next day, as they went on their journey, they drew near the city. Peter went on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Interesting that there is set hours that Peter is praying. We know the story here where Peter's on that rooftop. He has the vision of God bringing on a sheet unclean animals. Three times God brings this to Peter. He says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's like, no, nothing unclean has ever touched my mouth. And this was the revelation of God to Peter, that God would be giving the gospel to all Gentile nations. Because we see later on that story, Cornelius sends a delegation. They knock at the door that Peter's at. Peter follows and, and he preaches the gospel. Cornelius, a Gentile, he and his family, they get saved, which is amazing. And the early church concludes the gospel's not just for us. It's for everybody. Beautiful. Okay, further evidence. Acts chapter 16. Turn to me. Acts chapter 16, verses 13 to 16, speaking about how the early church kept to traditional hours of prayer. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 13 to 16. The Word of God says, verse 13, chapter 16, And on the Sabbath day... We went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul, and when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay. So she persuaded us. Now it happened, verse 16, as we went to prayer, so a certain hour of prayer, that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. Pause there. So we see in that story that Paul is now going to an hour of prayer or the space where prayer was customarily made. He meets Lydia and she begins to be the first convert for the church in Philippi. And then the next convert is really this uh, demon-possessed girl who's freed in the name of Jesus. And then we find themselves, as we talk about spontaneity in their prayer, they're jailed 
Paul and Silas are jailed, but at midnight they're singing prayers to the Lord. But here's an interesting thing that in my study about how the early church prayed and the power of God, there's an interesting correlation that as they went to their specific hours of prayer, it just so happened that the power of God was spilling out in some way, shape, or form. Interesting that as they kept to a model of prayer, the 9, 12, or 3 o'clock, that the power of God just so happened to spill out, right? The lame man was healed, Cornelius and his household get saved, and then Lydia and this demon-possessed girl, they come to know the Lord. It's interesting that maybe there's something for us if we want to be the church in a broken world, that as we have structured times of prayer that the power of God would maybe spill out. Now, I don't want to get legalistic here. I'm not saying that you must have a structure hour of prayer or structured hours of prayer throughout your day in order to earn right standing or righteousness with God. No, I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that the righteous do pray. And I see in the book of Acts that as they were devoted to the Lord in those specific times of prayer, that the power of God was spilling out. I wonder what would happen if we had maybe some sort of model that we'll talk about later of how we can pray without ceasing, maybe like the early church, and see what God would do. So the early church had structured prayer, but they also had spontaneity in their prayer life. Let's read on in Acts chapter 16, verses 25 to 34. Acts 16, 25 to 34. So we fast forward in our story, this demon-possessed girl, she's healed, but the master of this demon-possessed girl who has given him a lot of fortune and a lot of profit, he gets angry, and, and so he's causing a riot, and so they're thrown into jail, Paul and Silas, but what are they doing in their spontaneity uh, of their prayer life is seen here, but at midnight, so this is not an hour of prayer usually, right, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? No doubt he was listening to the prayers and the songs that Paul and Silas are singing and praying. So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. Then he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. Immediately he and his family were baptized Now when they had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. So what a beautiful thing there, too, that as they were praying in prison, God was doing miracles. The power of God was leaking out, so much so that this Philippian jailer, who's now the start of the Philippian church with Lydia and this demon-possessed girl, he and his household get saved. So it's interesting that there are benefits to the structured hour of prayer, But also there's benefits and power to that spontaneity in prayer. And I would say that the spontaneity in prayer really is birthed out of a disciplined time of prayer that the early church practiced. It's kind of like singing, right? Um, If you can sing the different scales on the notes, 
the structure of the notes, then you can have fun playing around with different riffs, right? You can kind of the spontaneity in the riffs and the stylization of the voice, you can kind of go anywhere you want, but it's from a place of understanding the regular rhythm. I wonder if it's the same thing about our prayer life, that as we understand the regular rhythm of what a prayer life could be, that it would birth spontaneous and beautiful prayer. Well, the early church modeled that, but where did they get that from? Number two, how did Jesus pray? We'll see in the Gospels, as we turn to many places, that Jesus also modeled structured and spontaneous prayer. Jesus also modeled structured and spontaneous prayer. Where do we see him modeling structured prayer? Well, we see in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Luke 4, 16, I'll just read it. Luke writes, as was Jesus' custom, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. So Jesus had a reputation of going to the synagogue, and he was going at times that it was heavily populated, so during the feasts, but I would also say during the times of structured prayer, because he would be given scrolls, and then he would say, I am the bread of life, right? Or I am the living water. He who believes in me shall never thirst, all these different things. So Jesus had a structure where he was going to the temple to read, to pray, to reflect. And so there was a diligence in his life, an order to his life that is worth taking note of. But Jesus also took this spontaneous prayer to the next level. We'll see as we look at the, uh, the model prayer, the Lord's prayer, and even the Gethsemane prayer, that Jesus took prayer out of the temple, out of the synagogue, and into everyday life, thus showing us that prayer could be and should be an ongoing conversation with the Lord, where we say, good morning, Lord, walk with him, pray, and then when we say, good night, Lord, thank you, at the night. So Jesus modeled this. He modeled structured prayer, but spontaneous prayer. Here's an example of spontaneous prayer. Matthew 14, 23. You can write that down, Matthew 14, 23. When Jesus had sent the multitudes away from his teaching journey, he went up on the mountain by himself, to pray. So he didn't go to a temple. He didn't go to a synagogue. He went up to the mountains to pray by himself, a place of solitude, a place of rest. Again, we'll see in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Let's turn there together. This one's a really interesting and an insightful one about Jesus's prayer life. Mike, Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 and on. It writes, now In the morning, Mark writes, in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, Jesus went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. So Jesus was in a place where he was by himself that it took some searching for to find him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Verse 38. But he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in the synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. This story or account, I would rather, is very insightful because Jesus got up before the daylight hours, even after a long night of ministry. And I get it. Long nights of ministry, especially with the youth, draining. Life-giving, but draining at the same time. You parents and anyone who's ever been with kids, I can agree, right? Life-giving, but draining at the same time. But Jesus found it a priority for him to get up even before the sun was out to go to a solitary place to pray. Now, this is interesting because Jesus 
is then confronted with his disciples. And he says, hey, Jesus, everybody is looking for you. And this is like a minister's or a pastor's best like request, right? The people want me? Like, ooh, like, let's do ministry, right? But Jesus, what does Jesus say? Hey, let us go to the next town. Uh, let's go and preach over there. For this reason, I have come forth. And so we learn a little bit about Jesus and how you received instruction. Because to any pastor, any ministry, any shepherd would be like, the people are hungry, the people are wanting, let's go there, let's minister. But there was something in his prayer life that he heard from God the Father saying, no, go to the next cities, go to the next town to preach. And we have to know that Jesus didn't use his divinity cheat codes, so to speak, in order to be faithful to the Father, right? Jesus modeled he was fully man and fully God, but never did he use his godness to cheat the system in order for him to be obedient. No, he is our perfect example of what it looks like to be dependent on the Father for everything. And I believe it's in these times of prayer that he gained insight from the Father to what he was supposed to be doing. In John chapter 5, he would write, I only do what my Father tells me to do. I only do what my Father shows me to do. How did Jesus know this? I think it was in his times of prayer that he received that revelation. So Jesus He models this structured prayer, but also this spontaneous prayer. You can write down Luke chapter 5, verse 16. It's another time it's documented that Jesus withdrew into the wilderness to pray. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 12. It came to pass in those days that he went on the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. What a beautiful thing. Another reference, Luke 9, 28. Now it came to pass after eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And so Jesus had, yeah, this structured prayer, but also showed and is showing us that we can have spontaneous times of prayer as well. And I would say both are needed. And how do you get to that spontaneous prayer life? I think it is from that disciplined time that we're choosing to be with the Lord And again, we'll talk about more what that looks like. But how did Jesus teach his disciples to pray? It's worth saying over and over again. There's one thing the disciples asked for Jesus about how to do that, how to do something. And it was how to pray. There was something about Jesus's prayer life that attracted the disciples that they didn't ask, Lord, teach me to teach your word. Or Lord, teach me to cast out demons. Or Lord, teach me to walk on water. It was Lord, teach me to pray. So let's turn to the model prayer that Jesus gives in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Luke chapter 11. Jesus has a whole sermon on prayer, but his model prayer is found in verses 2 to 4. And there's some things that I'd like to share about this model prayer. And then we'll talk about Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane and see how we can learn from his example there. But in the model prayer, we know this. We'll read it in verse 1 through 4. Now it came to pass, as Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Jesus said so. He said to them, when you pray, again, not if, but when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. 
And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So disciples come to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus prays this most scandalous prayer, probably to the disciples. Again, we know this prayer because it's part of our DNA that we can address God the Father as our Father. But again, to the disciples, untrained, but everyone knew God is holy. But what is Jesus doing here? He's telling his disciples and us that we can pray more intimately than we think we can. Though God is holy and righteous and just, Jesus says you can pray our Father. Though he is the mover of mountains, though he can split the Red Sea into two, Jesus says we can pray our Father. I love um, what uh, Pastor Tyler Staten says about this in his book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. Pastor Tyler says, he, Jesus is articulating in this passage that you can pray to God more intimately than you think you're allowed because this is all about love anyways. And isn't that so true that prayer, communicating with God, is just love for him expressed? That when we pray, we're just expressing love, that we can come to a holy and righteous Father. Again, scandalous to the disciples who God is holy, yes, and I don't want to take away from his holiness, but he's also approachable because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ over us that we can say our Father. And this is huge, that he is our Father. Now, Jesus says, when you pray, say, and so Jesus isn't saying when you pray, you always have to say this, though I think there are beautiful themes in the Lord's prayer that we can be praying. But Jesus would also write in, or, or articulate in Matthew chapter 5, 6 and, 6 and 7, that when you pray, don't use vain repetitions for repetition's sake or to be seen or heard by men, right? But when you pray, go to your closet, shut the door, and then pray to the Father. And the Father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. So he's not saying this is always how you have to pray, though there are beautiful things that you can pray from this. I want us to get us away from this religious system of this is how I have to pray. Jesus said, no, when you pray, you can say this, but just don't do it for religious sake, thinking that you're going to earn righteousness or right standing with God the Father. It's all about love. It's all about relationship. It's all about knowing him. So what are some themes that we can pull out from the Lord's Prayer that we can be praying for ourselves? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, speaks of adoration, speaks of praise, right? Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or most holy is your name, speaks of adoration and praise. There's a themes of surrender. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I love this, that when we pray, we can adore him and then we can surrender. And it's really easy to surrender once we have right standing and understanding of who he is, right? That he is the most holy God, that he is the most holy father. Therefore, it's not a problem for me to submit and to surrender to him because he is so good and holy. So there's themes of adoration, praise, themes of uh, surrender. There's themes of just petition. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, would you meet these needs? There's prayers of confession and forgive us of our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And then prayers for direction. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. So there's beautiful things that we can, we can be learning from Jesus' model prayer. It's not the prayer that we always have to pray, but I think it's a great place to start. And I think there's beautiful themes that we need to be praying over ourselves every day. Turn with me to Jesus' other prayer 
in the Garden of Gethsemane. I want to talk about this for a little bit because I think this is where we're at in our world, our broken world, but also being broken ourselves and being in the process of being sanctified, that we can talk to the Lord the way Jesus talked to the Father in Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 to 46. So turn with me there. Matthew 26, 36 to 46. Matthew writes, Then Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And Jesus said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, <laughs> for their eyes were heavy. So he, he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. A couple of things about Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane that I believe is a word for me, and maybe this applies to you. Number one, Jesus gave God his feelings in prayer. We can see that he was articulating it to the disciples. I'm sorrowful, right? I'm sorrowful and weary, um, even to death. So he's giving God his feelings. A word of encouragement as we look at this is that we can pray in brutal honesty, This is Jesus to the Father. I'm sorrowful, even to the point of death. We can pray in brutal honesty. I've heard it said that the Lord has a hard time working with the fake parts of us, right? Where we think everything's okay, so I'm just going to pray about all just these things, but everything about our life has fallen apart. We're not feeling it, right? I've even found myself being honest with my feelings to the Lord Lord, I don't want to pray. This is kind of boring. And Jesus is not like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you said that. I believe he's saying, thank you for your honesty. Let's see where that root of of that bad heart is coming from. And it really is stemming from my impatience, me wanting to be in control. And so I can give God my brutal honesty, my feelings. I can pray without edits. It's encouragement for us. In a world where we can edit out everything on Photoshop or Instagram, crop out the corners, touch up on the makeup or whatever, we can almost do that to our prayers, that we pray with edits, that we're only going to give God this part and we're not going to see, have him look at all the imperfections about us or about our hearts. But to pray without edits is to pray in brutal honesty. I think it's what Peter is saying in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Do you not know that the Lord cares for you, that we can cast all of our cares upon him, the good, the bad, the ugly? No edits. Let's be a church in a broken world that can pray in brutal honesty without any edits. 
We can pray without edits because in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, the author writes, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of judgment, no, to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of needs. How can we pray without edits? It's by realizing Jesus was tempted and tried in all of the ways that we struggled with and still without sin. So he has all the answers. He's gone through every single degree of temptation and we're made faithful and obedient. So he has the answers. So we can bust open the, 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 the throne room of heaven and say, God, I need help. And we can find that grace and mercy that we need in our time of need. So we can pray without edits. We can give God our feelings. Jesus also gave God his desires. Notice three times, let this cup pass. If there's any way, let this cup pass. Brothers and sisters, this is huge. Jesus is basically saying, if there's any way around this part of redemption, if there's any other way that we can do this, let's do it. Jesus is praying in brutal honesty, and this encourages me that prayer isn't a place to be good. Prayer is a place to be honest. If there's any way around this, let this cup pass. But he also gives God his trust. Nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. So yeah, give God your feelings. I'm feeling this. I'm feeling that. This is wrong. There's, this, needs to, this needs help. And here's my desire. You know, this is what's in my heart. This is what I want to do. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You guys know my love story with my wife, right? That when I was 17 years old getting saved, I really started out just like, I love the Lord and I really don't care if I find a wife, you know, I I can travel around the world. I can go be a missionary. I can be a musician and share the gospel. And that's awesome. But as I continued to seek the Lord, he would give me a desire to then be a husband and then a father. And then at the Bible college, all of my friends, right, were getting married or getting engaged and started a date. And all my brothers who are, you know, older than me and younger than me, they're all getting married and, and, and having babies. And and I, 18 years old, I think I, this is a desire. Like, Lord, okay, I'll, I'll start praying. And as I continued to pray for my wife at 18 years old, this the desire would grow and grow and grow, almost to the point where I'd become an idol, where I was comparing myself to other people's lives. And, and I was expecting God just to, to answer right off the bat, right? I'm 18 years old. I'm studying the Word of God. Like, I'm a catch, like meow mix, right? <laughs> And so I'm at the Bible college, right? I'm teaching at the Bible college. And they call it Calvary Chapel Bridal College for a reason, right? A lot of godly young women there. And so each semester would come around. I would strategically place myself in the coffee shop, right? I got it all mapped out in my mind, right? Like, you got to make yourself available, right? Ask, seek, and knock. I was going to do my part, right? Okay, Lord, I'll show up. And so I'd go to the coffee shop, the most, you know... Um, famous place in town, and I would strategically have my Bible open, writing a journal, as a moleskin journal, and my Pilot G2 pen, and here I am, Lord, just, and the door would open up, and I had this whole thing in my mind, right, she would walk in, she'd catch my eye, I'd go up to her and say, may I have my eye back, right, and then we'd just have a conversation, and then when we get married and beautiful, right, but semester after semester, year after year, at 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, Lord, we're 23, 
24, 25. By this time, all of my brothers are married, having babies, moving all around the world, serving God. And I'm like, Lord, I'm, I'm single, ready for a Pringle. Like, Lord, okay, anytime now. Like, I know, you know. But giving the Lord my desires, giving the Lord my feelings, and then ending it with not my will, but your will be done in 26, 27, 28, I moved to Vista. Okay, well, there's more fish here. We're by the sea, right? <laughs> and continually giving it over to the Lord, my desire is my feelings, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. 28 years old. Summer camp rolls around. Ellen comes in with Reliance Church as a camp counselor. Thank goodness is right, right? And I'm like, whoa, bazooka, bazooka, right? Like this, whoa. Like she's ministering to the students. She's praying with the students. And like she was, you know, she caught my eye enough that I was making sure that there was no rings on, right? And she had like all these bedazzled rings. I'm like, oh, she's taken, you know? But she was just trying to protect herself from people like me. So, <laughs> so it was working. Uh, but it turns out she was single, right? And so the time passes. My sister-in-law says, hey, you should really meet this girl. I'm like, oh, I know this girl. And and a year and a half ago, we get married, right? Praise the Lord. It took a long time. Struggling in prayer, right? Wrestling with prayer. And that's kind of the funny side of things, but it wasn't funny in the moment, right? Ten years, a decade of praying for my wife every day that the Lord would bless her, keep her, that she would be a woman of prayer, that she'd be a woman of praise, that she would be a good, godly mother, and just expecting the goodness of the Lord. And so it took time. But there's part of prayer that I won't understand ever, you know, on this side of grace. I don't think we will understand it. There are some prayers that we've prayed even in the past couple of months that the Lord hasn't answered. And you know a little bit about our story, you know, about having a desire to be a husband and then a desire to be a father. And in July, uh, we had found out we were about, you know, uh, two months pregnant. It was awesome. And time passes, and about a couple weeks later, about a month later, we, we actually miscarry our first pregnancy. And all through that time, enlisting prayer and asking for prayer and, and really struggling like Jesus in the garden, Lord, I feel this, like this, I don't get it. Lord, this is my desire. I, I feel like you've given me a desire to be a, a husband and, and to be a father, but this doesn't make sense in the plan. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so we're, we're slowly on the, we're on the slower side of recovery. Doctors say we can start trying next year. So we're going to start trying next year prayerfully again. But there's things about prayer that I don't understand. Why did God answer my prayer for this, but not for that? And you probably are wrestling with the same thing. And we're called to trust. Now, we're not called to understand, but we're called to trust. And prayer brings us to a place where we simply adore him. We can let all the unedits come out and just come to a place of, I don't understand, but I know you, and I know that you're good, and I know that you're God. And so we're still walking through it, but we're learning to press in better to the Lord in prayer, and I believe this is a word for us, that contentment in prayer is settling nothing for, nothing less than God's will and God's way and God's time. That contentment in prayer or Christian maturity is best seen as you seek him and you're okay with God's will in God's way and in God's time. So we wrestle together with prayer with the Lord, not understanding, but giving him our trust. This is the essence of prayer. It is love. It's just coming to him. It's communicating with him without any of the edits. Jesus modeled this for us. I wonder if, if our lives would be different if we prayed without the edits and what power or freedom we would receive 
um, if we're honest to the Lord in prayer. I'll share one quick story. I know I'm going a little bit long, but at summer camp, when all this was kind of happening, right, still fresh, but having to put on a brave face at summer camp, so this is game time, and uh, Pastor Tyler is out because Veronica's expecting she's due any day now, and Caleb is busy doing some wedding planning, so it is just me in this trial walking through. We had just miscarried our first pregnancy. My wife's heartbroken. I'm heartbroken, but hey, the ministry and and still has to get done. There was a night of prayer. Um, that the Lord was just ministering to me, just trust, just trust, just trust. And the next day, again, just trust, trust, trust. And in this time of worship, uh, I'm behind um, in the sanctuary, behind the students, and I just begin to weep because the Lord is asking me, do you trust me? And that was really hard for me to come to, to the... I, I was saying, yeah, God, I trust you. But again, Aaron, do you trust me? Yeah, God, I trust you. Aaron, do you trust me with your baby? And that was a hard one. And I began to weep. I began to weep because there were some parts in my life that I didn't trust the Lord. And I finally said, Lord, I don't get it, but I'll trust you. As I, share, as I said that, I kid you not, the Lord gave me a vision of heaven, and the Lord was holding my baby and I, and I wonder if I had held on to try and figuring it out and not giving it to the Lord, if I would have ever been blessed with that vision. Because I tell you, the peace of God overwhelmed me. And it's that vision of, of the Lord holding my baby that helps me and my wife kind of get up out of bed every day and trust the Lord that he's still good. And it is hard, you know, it's hard. Um, our family, praise the Lord, a lot of babies, but um, four of my, uh, sorry, three of my sister-in-laws are, are also expected the same time that uh, we were supposed to be having, um, you know, our due date, and so we're, we're prayerfully getting prepared for that. Just, wow, they, we want to celebrate, but then also, wow, we don't have a baby, but then we do have a baby. It's just our babies with the Lord, you know? And, and I don't know, I didn't actually plan to share that, but maybe that's a story for you that if you're walking through that, the Lord sees you. Uh, the Lord saw me. The Lord sees my wife. And the Lord has a plan. So we can pray without edits. We can give the Lord our burdens and desires. And when we do that, there's freedom. That's what I experienced in that sanctuary. The joy and freedom in surrender. And so let's talk about this last thing. How do we pray? How can we pray? I want to give you a couple of uh, different insights on how we can pray without ceasing. One of the revealed wills of God for our life, uh, according to Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 17 and 18, and says, pray without ceasing in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So how do we model this praying continually? I want to say that there, I want to suggest that there could be some really awesome learning opportunities from the early church and their structured hours of prayer that can help us in our spontaneity in our prayers. I'll say this, this is my prayer challenge for me, my wife, and for us, that we need to be setting a time and place each day to pray. And I want to make it really simple. In the morning, let's all be praying the themes of the Lord's prayer together. Okay, the themes of the Lord's Prayer together. So adoration, surrender, petition, asking the Lord for our needs, asking for direction. So that's the morning prayer on top of our Bible reading. And then I want to say in the structured hour of prayer, maybe at afternoon or when you have your lunch break, 
We can be praying for the lost. I'm going to be praying for my lost family and friends, um, those, those people that I love that don't know the Lord. I want to take time, five minutes or so, just to be lifting them up in prayer. And then in the evening, maybe a structured time of prayer with the family around the table for dinner could be that of gratitude, just thanking the Lord for the small graces and seeing his hand in our life, even when we didn't see it then, but we can see it now, so praying gratitude. So maybe that's what it looks like to pray without ceasing, to say, Lord, in the morning, your will be done. In the afternoon, Lord, hear the lost. Would you save them? And then in the evening, we can be praying gratitude. I believe if we can master that art of maybe some disciplined prayer that our spontaneous prayer life can blossom, where we're, because we're surrounding ourselves in those times of prayer, that it can remind us to pray for every little thing, right? In everything, we can be giving thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for us. So we can make a time and place for those different things. Uh, for the uh, busy moms, stay-at-home moms, um, I get it. Uh, not that I'm a mom, but <laughs> my mom is a mom, right? And she has five boys. And uh, how did she kind of get away? She took this from Susanna Wesley, Charles Wesley's um, mom who wrote many hymns and was a great preacher. But uh, Susanna Wesley would put her apron over her head, and that was her prayer, uh, her prayer closet, right? And so uh, my mom did this. And so I often would go into the kitchen, and my mom would have her, the contents of her apron out on the table, and her apron was over her head. And I would, what are you doing? And mom would go, mom's not here right now. <laughs> and, like, what, what are you doing? She goes, Aaron, I'm praying. And I was like, oh. That kitchen became holy ground with her apron over her head, you know? And so I get it. We're busy. But maybe as silly as an apron over the head can remind you to pause and to pray. And instead of praying at God, what if we thought about it as praying with God? Because everywhere we go, he is there. So instead of praying at him, but just praying with him, he's in here in the sanctuary, he's there in the car. And maybe if you're busy like me, you can take advantage of the moments in between moments. You know what I'm talking about? So the moment at home and going to the moment at church. So the moment in between moments is my commute. It's five minutes, but hey, for five minutes, I can be praying and asking the Lord to bless my day. So maybe taking advantage of the moments in between moments is helpful for us. Um, in, In our prayer life, our prayer rhythm, we have to understand that prayer is all about embracing helplessness that prayer is all about embracing helplessness. So a prayer life killer will always be your pride, thinking that you got it all, thinking that you're all-knowing, thinking that you are the master of your own life. You're not. Prayer is all about embracing helplessness and coming to the Lord who is the help. He is the comfort. He is everything that we need. All of his promises in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. So pride will always kill that routine. Um, The sin and the weight that's mapped out in Hebrews chapter 12, which I believe the, the sin is unbelief and the weights are all the different distractions of the world. That's a prayer life killer in your routine. Or maybe even the familiarity of things. Yeah, I kind of got this under control. That kind of, that subtle, you know, perched up heart of pride can kill your prayer life. Again, prayer is all about embracing helplessness. And so in your prayer life, your prayer journey, I know that there's always room to grow. I suggest to you, maybe Jesus and the early church had something going on, that as they modeled a little bit of their structure or discipline in prayer, that the power of God might spill out on them just like, or on us like it did with them. And again, not in a legalistic way, like you have to pray these different things, right? No, we don't pray to earn righteousness, but the righteous do pray and they do live by faith. And just like Jesus 
how he was dependent on the Father for instruction, for wisdom, for guidance, so too must we be dependent on the Father for wisdom, instruction, and guidance. Much of that is found in prayer. My pastor, Rod Thompson, before coming down over here, he, he said this, make your plans in prayer. And I'm like, what does that look like, Pastor Rod? Well, he goes, in his morning prayer, he lays out his agenda, right? So he has the meetings and different things, but he asks God, God, this is what I have planned. What do you have planned? And he was able to, you know, move things around or circle things or cross things out. And he made those decisions in prayer. So maybe that's for you if you're an agenda or planner person that you can make your plans in prayer. All I'm saying is, hey, there, there is a correlation between the power of God spilling out into a broken and uh, world that he loves and the people that pray. So for us, we can ask ourselves, how can I better pray? I want us to give uh, an opportunity to pray because we learn to pray by praying, and Jesus modeled that. Lord, teach us to pray. Okay, pray like this. So we're going to do this together. As the worship band comes up, I'm going to give us 30, 45 seconds for us to practice the Gethsemane prayer, where we can give God our feelings, where we can give God our desires, and then end with giving God our trust. Now, we're never going to be perfect. Our prayer life is always going to be room for improvement on this side of grace. But I believe that maybe if we have regrets in heaven, I don't think we do, but maybe one regret that we might have as we see the splendor and the power and generosity of God is, why didn't I pray more? And I don't know about you, but I don't have any regrets when I see Jesus in his face. I want to hear that words, well done, good and faithful. Enter into your Father's rest. And so let's be good and faithful as we embrace our relationship with the Lord, specifically as we just talked about our prayer life, what can you do better today to help you pray better tomorrow? Is it canceling a lot of the busyness or the fluff? Is it taking advantage of the moments in between moments? Is it adopting a disciplined morning prayer where you pray the themes of the Lord's Prayer and then pray for the lost people in the afternoon and then pray to gratitude in the evening? I don't know, but all I know is we need Jesus. And prayer is accessing the power and resources of heaven and walking on them here on earth. So let's practice this Gethsemane prayer where we take 30 to 45 seconds just giving God our feelings. In the quietness of your heart as a worship band plays, let's give God our feelings, let's give God our desires, and let's end with giving God our trust. Amen?